So let's uh, turn, open your Bibles. I invite you to open up your Bibles to John 14. Uh, you can look in your worship guide or look on the walls behind me. But what we're doing um, is that we are continuing in our sermon series in the Gospel of John. And so the, this is a particular passage here in John 14. And this is really this chapter and next chap, next week's chapter, um, John 15, both of these passages speak very relevantly to the new year moment that we are in. That every single new year, there's there's always this idea of like, hey, let's make some goals. Let's make some plans. What What's your bucket list for 2022? And... This week, we're going to be considering Jesus and your helper, and next week, we're going to be considering Jesus and your growth from John 15. So both of these passages can even speak to us and help us frame our lives as we're seeking to grow and become more like Jesus. So I'm going to be reading um, John chapter 14, verses 15 through verse 31. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and so let's just dive in. Hear God's word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. And you, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us, not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away. And I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, and the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now that I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word, that your word is given to us in love to help us know you, to help us love you, to help us follow you all the days of our life. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak your word into our hearts and that your spirit would shape and challenge us and make us more like you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So yesterday we were cleaning the house at the Schmipperger residence. And I was doing the dishes. Jennifer was cleaning another room. And our boys were downstairs uh, playing in the basement. And we heard our oldest say, help, help, help. And we're like, what do you need help with? Like, we, it was kind of at a certain volume that would absolutely catch the parents' attention. But maybe have a little sense of worry there. So we talked back to them. It's like, what do you need help with? 
And his answer is like, I need help making Spider-Man out of Duplos. And see, what we're seeing right here is an instance where children are very dependent on their parents. They need help in almost everything they do. The smaller they are, the truer that statement is. But even the older they get, they still need help. I saw someone uh, share on Facebook that their 10-year-old son knows how to do the laundry, and I think that's a good goal. But even teenagers need help doing laundry. And so, why, so there's a sense of parenting, a healthy part of parenting is actually to foster this healthy degree of independence in children. But however, that is not the Christian life. That is not the vision that God our Father has for our life with him. Because we are utterly, wholly, essentially dependent upon God for everything. And our default position as a child of God is, is just like when you see a little child reaching up, hands outstretched to their parents, asking them to hold me, to comfort me, to play with me, to be with me. That is, the, that is what our posture as children of God should be. But the reality is that's hard for us. That is hard for us. And actually, apart from the Holy Spirit, that is impossible for us. And because of our sin, we do not want to depend on anyone. We want to do, be self-sufficient. We want to be able to say, I got this. But at the end of the day, that's lonely, that's anxiety-inducing, that's nerve-wracking, that goes completely against how we are made. And so the tr simple truth of this passage that we're going to dig into is that we are dependent upon God, that we live and move and have our being in him, and Jesus gives us a helper to have life with God. Jesus gives us another helper. So we'll be considering Jesus and your helper this morning. So as we begin, before we get into like the outline for this time, let's just think about the unique significance of this passage because Jesus is in the midst of a long conversation with his disciples. This is the night before Jesus goes to the cross. That Jesus just celebrated the Last Supper. Jesus washed their feet. Jesus told them that someone was going to betray them. Someone was going to, Peter was going to deny him. And that he was going to leave and go to the Father's house to prepare a place for them. So their entire conception of following Jesus is being disrupted, and yet Jesus is comforting them in this moment. That spirit of comfort cannot be missed whatsoever during what scholars call the upper room dis discourse from John 13 to John 17. And because besides Jesus' words on the cross, these are actually Jesus' last words to all of his disciples. Because when Jesus is on the cross, he speaks from the cross, I thirst, and so forth. But I'm not overplaying the drama of this story to say that their lives are about to change. They think their lives are about to change for the worse, but their lives are actually about to change for the better. I'm not understanding that. So an outline, a first point, I want to consider the proof of our discipleship. The proof of our discipleship. We see this in verse 15 and verse 21. We actually see this many times. Because there's this verse that if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. This is a theme throughout this passage. It's also a theme in the next chapter as well. It's mentioned five times here in just the section that we read. It's mentioned five more times in John 15. And if you keep my commandments, you will love me. 
And Jesus himself points out that he loves the Father and obeys the Father so that the world will know that he loves the Father. Let's just be honest. We need to dig into this. Because the first thing we need to highlight is that love and obedience are tied together here. They are not separate in any way, shape, or form. They're not the opposite of one another. That if you have love without obedience, then all that you have is emotional sentiment. Life with God would not have any substance to it whatsoever, nor would your life be any different. Your life would not noticeably be different. But if you have obedience without love, then all you have is slavery. Life with God, in other words, would be a chore. So it's vital to understand that love and obedience go together. And so Leslie Newbegin put it in a pithy way. It's very helpful. That obedience is the test of love, but love is the content of obedience. That obedience is the test of love, and that love is the content of obedience. You see, when you think about love, love involves delighting the person whom you love. Think about this. For friends whose birthday it is, or family members, loved ones, and it's Christmas time. You get birthday gifts. You get gifts for them because you love them. Perhaps you buy them something that they would not normally get themselves. Perhaps you buy them something because it made you think of them. Or perhaps you buy it for them simply because you know they need it. That is something we do because of that we love them. It, or it could be that, hey, I love you and I just want to spend time with you. I want to be with you. See, love involves substance. And for the Christian faith, it's obedience. But let's also continue a clarifying comment here. Because we can read this in a certain way, and it may strike you at first as moralism, where God's love for you is conditional upon your obedience. Where you think to yourself that, I am moral, I I obey God's commands, therefore he loves me. However, that's not what's going on here. And that also clearly contradicts Scripture elsewhere. That, would, that even contradicts what John writes in 1 John, where he says that we love God because God first loved us. See, the only reason why that we are able to love God in the first place, the only reason why we are able to obey God in the first place, is because God first loved us. That Jesus loved us. That Jesus calls us his friends, that, and he is going to the cross in a few moments for disciples. But he went to the cross for us to atone for our sins so that we would experience the forgiveness of our sins. And then Jesus defeated death in his resurrection so that we would have life everlasting and be with him. And even here in this passage, he gives us this promise that there's going to be another helper coming, and we'll see that in a moment. But at the what I'm pointing out, the source for our love is God's love. The cause of our obedience is God's love for us. And this is, friends, the gospel. If we mix up this order, we lose the gospel and we, in fact, lose the entire Christian faith. And that we must always get this, this order right, that God loved us first. Perhaps John 8 is one of the clearest passages of this. There's this woman caught in adultery, and Jesus ha- speaks words of comfort to her. 
And the crowd leaves, and he asks her this question, has anyone condemned you? She says, no. And then Jesus says, neither do I. What are the next words? Go and sin no more. God loved us first. Go and sin no more. It's not stop sinning and then I'll love you. No, that is contrary, friends, to the gospel. That God's love moves us to faith. His kindness is, moved to, is meant to move us to repentance. That is the essential rhythm of the Christian faith, that God loved us first. And so here's the thing. To have this type of life with God, to have life with God in the first place, but to also have a spirit of obedience in the Christian life, we need a helper. And this is the second point. And we see this promise of the helper pop up twice, verse 16 and verse 26. And the ESV is translating the Greek word here in a very particular way. And it means it's very clear, it's helper. It's coming from this Greek word, paraclete. It's not necessarily the best translation. Perhaps you have a different translation in front of you, but you'll see it as counselor, advocate, intercessor. If you want to pull out the message, Eugene Peterson says, the friend, which is quite beautiful, actually. And the, but the reason why this is not the best, the, this idea of the helper, is not the best translation of this passage, it because it's the Greek word parakaleo, which means coming alongside of. It's this construct that's going on here. And that within the New Testament, some version of that construct is used 120 times. But here in the Gospel of John, it's only used once. But, and, but within the Christian faith, whenever we see someone being described as the paraclete, though, it's the Holy Spirit. And so there is a strong association here. As you think about the helper, there's a strong association with Jesus. Look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Who's the first helper? Well, if you read 1 John, it's Jesus. Jesus is our helper, and the Holy Spirit is our helper. And this is why this is all significant. All significant. Because the Holy Spirit is your helper to see, to know, to love, and to follow Jesus. Because without the Holy Spirit, friends, without the Holy Spirit, that cannot happen. John Stott, he emphasized this point. And it's, it's in this excellent book, Baptism and Fullness. Recommend it to you. This is what he writes. The Christian life is life in the Spirit. It is impossible to be a Christian, let alone live and grow as Christian, without the gracious Spirit of God. All we have and are as Christians, we owe to Him. After all, the Christian life begins with a new birth that is of the Spirit. You see, friends, the Holy Spirit is not an abstract force, but a person. He lives and he dwells within you. And he gives you this new birth. That's what we saw in uh, John 3 with Jesus talking to Nicodemus. The Holy Spirit gives you this new birth, and he fills your spiritual lungs, so to speak, with air. And even in this passage, that where we see this test of discipleship as love and obedience, that even if we love God and keep his commandments, God comes to us and makes his home within us. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells within you. This is mind-blowing to me, that the same Holy Spirit who inspired Scripture lives in you. The same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead resides in you. That is amazing. That the Holy Spirit resides in you. 
So how does he help us? Because he has called our helper. That is a legitimate translation, but it means so much more to that. So I'm going to focus, however, on this idea that, he, yes, he is our helper. He has described it for us here in a few ways, that he is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of truth. Everything that is of the spirit is true and can be relied on. You can trust the Holy Spirit. He teaches you as well. He teaches you everything Jesus commanded, everything that Jesus taught. And the spirit will also bring it to your memory to help you remember what Jesus taught. In other words, at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is always bringing you back to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 12, 3, you see that Paul describing that it is the Holy Spirit who says Jesus is Lord, that the Holy Spirit is always taking you back to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Another thing that the Holy Spirit does is this work of conviction. This work of conviction. But his convicting work is often misunderstood. Because often we think of conviction and we associate, we completely make it the same as condemnation. But condemnation keeps you in a state of wallowing and guilt and misery where you're just thinking, well, I'm awful. I have done awful things. I'm awful. But conviction, on the other hand, is noticeably and decidedly different. That conviction is actually meant for your joy. Think about that. Conviction is meant for your joy. That conviction is meant to take you to God's love and forgiveness and his joy. And so that is when we respond in confession and faith. So the next time that you feel condemned, recognize that it could actually be the devil. One of the most popular labels, like the name Satan, literally means the accuser. That it could be the accuser seeking to condemn you. So pray for the Holy Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, show me your joy. Lead me to joy. And the Spirit will always take you to the cross. The Holy Spirit will always take you to the cross because he never wants you to remain in misery. See, Jesus in his entire ministry of love, that's what Frederick Bruner called his earthly ministry. But in his, Jesus in his ministry of love, he was led by the Spirit. Look at Matthew 4. Look at Luke 4. That Jesus is led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness to be tempted and tried by the, the devil. And so in a similar vein, the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you and directs you into the will of God. It's no wonder why that Paul would call upon us to live lives full of the Spirit and to put on the Spirit. And so the last thing that the Spirit helps you do as your helper it's associated with our third point, that Jesus says this in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. This is meant as Jesus' encouragement. And it, the Holy Spirit is his comfort to us in this moment. Because there's a disconnect to us here. In Amer- as we think about being an orphan for a moment, in America, we don't have or- orphanages. Orphanages were went out of business in the late 60s. Instead, we have a foster system that is intended to reunify families. If that's not possible, it's meant to lead into adoption. But to be an orphan, and so like, take a step back. So there's this disconnect with an orphaned identity or reality within our lives, in our culture. But let's drill down on what this means to help us understand this. Because to be an orphan means something very particular. To be an orphan means that you are alone. That loneliness 
stays with you. It's persistent. It nags at you. It, it eats at you. You've, it's this strong, persistent sense of loneliness because you have no family. You are anxious as well, for you do not know where perhaps your next meal or your possessions are going to come from. That you live based upon your performance and your own reputation because you got to be somebody, and when you are not anyone's child, who are you? There's this innate desire to be the best. And all the while, there's this hole in your heart yearning and searching for love. So perhaps, go like this is the bulletin reflection today. Whose little boy are you? That's the question that we're asking here. And Rosemary Miller, she pointed this out. She, um, her husband was a pastor outside Philadelphia. But Rosemary Miller, she pointed out that we often live as orphans. We live as orphans. Instead of feeling the presence of God, we feel alone. Instead of seeing the joy of the Lord, we grow cynical. Instead of resting and taking our new re reputation from Christ and his atoning death for us, we seek to make our own. We return to our own performance-driven mentality. And yet, what does Jesus say? I will not leave you as orphans. He promises that he will not abandon us. He promises you, friends, that he will not abandon you. He will not leave you alone. He will not leave you as orphans. And we see this most clearly in the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit, this is Romans 8, 14 to 15, that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, for you, but you have received the spirit of sonship. See, it's the Holy Spirit who adopts you and makes you a child, a son or daughter of God. It's the Holy Spirit who makes the person sitting next to you a brother or sister in the Lord. It is impossible, friends. It's truly inconceivable to have, to have the Holy Spirit without being a child of God. It's inconceivable to be a child of God and not have the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who makes us into God's family in his church. Pull this together. Pull this all together. And because, friends, this is wonderful news. You have everything you need to grow in Christ. That's mind-blowing. You have God's word. It is the spirit of truth who brings God's word. He helps you recall everything Jesus has commanded you. That you, the Spirit has given you a family, a new community to reside in and to live in because God dwells in each and every single one of us. But also, here's the Spirit of God that's given to you. That the Spirit is always with you. You are never apart from the Holy Spirit. That's mind-blowing. And it's wonderful news. And so, friends, there's this hymn that goes, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. That is the Christian life. We need the Lord. And he helps us. He's our original helper. And he helps us by giving us the helper of the Holy Spirit. And so he is our helper. He is our comforter. He is our advocate. He is our intercessor. He is the one who comes alongside us so that we would be called sons and daughters of God. And he gives us a family. Brothers and sisters. Because of the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need to follow Jesus. So let's lean into him. Let's pray.